Entrepreneurs often have similar characteristics. Energy, passion, vision. But why do some soar to success while others struggle to climb? Less than 2% of women-owned businesses in North America ever achieve a million dollars a year in annual revenue. Why is that? And how do we dramatically increase that number? Welcome to Breakthrough with your host, Sarah Roach-Lewis. Sarah offers conversations with the ambitious women entrepreneurs in that 2% to help you break through. Now, here is Sarah Roach-Lewis. Well, hello, ambitious one. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Breakthrough. For regular listeners to the show, you know that Breakthrough is for women who want to hit seven figures in their business, and it features interviews with women who have already achieved it. We talk about their path to success, the pitfalls, the challenges, the joys. I like to say this show is inspirational, motivational, and instructional. Well, today is a little bit different, and I'm so excited for that. I want to welcome Eve Rodsky to the show today. So Eve is the author of New York Times best-selling book called Fair Play, a game-changing solution for when you have too much to do and more life to live. Uh, does that sound like you? Yes, you absolutely need to keep listening. This book is a game-changer. Everyone who is in a relationship needs to listen to read this book or listen to it. If you're a woman with bold ambitions to exponentially grow your business, then this is required reading. Let me set the stage a little bit more and then we're going to dig in. Eve is working to change society one marriage at a time with a new 21st century solution to an age-old problem. The age-old problem of women shouldering the brunt of child-rearing, domestic life responsibilities, regardless of whether we work outside the home or not. She uses her Harvard Law School training and years of organizational management experience to create a gamified life management system to help couples rebalance all of the work it takes to run a home and allow them to reimagine their relationship, time, and purpose. Welcome to Breakthrough, Eve. I'm so happy to be here, Sarah. I am so excited. We started talking um, immediately and I said, okay, we have, to, we have to stop and hit record and then we can get in. So yeah. I hardly know where to start. So let's start at the beginning. What inspired Fair Play for you? Well, Sarah, I use you read. I mean, you can't make this stuff up, right? This entire journey started with a text, one text my husband sent me. And that text was right after my second son, Ben, had just been born. And it said, I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries. <laughs> and you can picture the scene, right? I mean, I was obviously very postpartum. I just had my second son. I had a diaper bag and a breast pump in the passenger seat of my car. I had gifts for a newborn baby to return in the backseat of my car. I just launched my business, trying to get to seven figures, like you said, where I had opted out of the traditional corporate workforce because I needed flexibility to raise my kids. Um, and I had a client contract on my lap as I was driving to pick up my older son from his toddler transition program that in America lasts like 10 minutes because we don't value working families. And I literally was trying to mark up the contract, trying to keep my business alive because I'm a, I'm a lawyer and mediator by trade. So marking up this contract at every traffic stop with like a pen that was sort of stabbing me in the vagina, you know, as <laughs> I would hit, hit a red traffic stop, I'd be like hit, stab. Anyway, so, and then basically this text comes in. So I, you know, I was committing a crime, I guess, by texting and driving, but the tears made it even worse. I thought I was going to get into an accident. So even though 
I was going to be late to pick up Zach from his program, I just pulled over to the side of the road and I just started sobbing. And I think, you know, it was really because I was thinking to myself, well, what I was really thinking is if my marriage is going to end, this is so ridiculous. Like it should have ended over like a dramatic affair in with an athlete, right? Or a fight in the Caribbean, not like over off-season blueberries. But mm. really what I was thinking was I used to be able to manage employee teams, which is why we want to talk to your listeners about how to get to seven figures. I was managing employee teams. And at this point in my life, after my second child, I couldn't even manage a grocery list because I was so overwhelmed. And I was barely staying in the workforce after being highly trained for all those years, including a Harvard law degree and all those loans that went with it. But more importantly, I think I was crying because um, for every single household and domestic task for my family. And it wasn't supposed to happen to me. I'm a single, I'm product of a single mom. I vowed from when I was seven that this would never happen to me as I watched her struggle. And I'm literally trained to use my voice. I'm a Harvard trained mediator. So if this was happening to me, my guess was that it was happening to other women. Yeah. Yeah. And you guessed right. So after that, after you had your little meltdown on the side of the road, which I think everyone listening has their own version of that. Um, So then what you, you know, what, what happened after that? It was interesting because uh, I talked to this one social change professor and I said, distill social change for me. And he said, you know, it's, if you had to, obviously it's much more complicated, but it's really pre-consciousness to consciousness to the fight for solutions. And so it was about becoming conscious. So what happened to me was I, I became, I was obsessed. I was on a quest to find out what had happened to me. And so I started reading every single article that had ever been written on what it turns out has a name. So the she has a name. It's called the mental load. It's mm. called the second shift. It's called emotional labor. But my favorite term was an article I found from 1986 from a sociologist named Arlene Kaplan Daniels. And she has a beautiful article and she names this phenomenon of women doing two thirds or more of what it takes to run a home and family, regardless of whether we work outside the home. She calls it invisible work. Mm. And what I loved about that was there was a modicum of a solution in it. And so I went and I decided to ask every woman I knew what she was doing that was work that may be invisible to her family or to her partner or to her kids. And Sarah, it opened up a, a, a Pandora's box. It sort of went viral in communities of women where I had friends of friends texting me saying, you know, I heard about your uh, research into what women do uh, more than three minutes of our time. You know, don't forget Elf on the Shelf. Uh, (laughs) One hour times 20 nights. Don't forget Girl Scout cookies ordering in sales. Five hours. Don't forget sunscreen. Yes, it's two minutes to apply, but 30 minutes for the chase. You know, all these very um, sort of funny and interesting women kept decided to weigh in on my project. And ultimately, it became a 98 tab Excel spreadsheet that I called the shit I do spreadsheet. And it had over a 1000 items of invisible work, it took almost nine months to source. And I was so proud of this spreadsheet, so proud of it, that one day I finally get the courage to send it off to Seth, my husband, my blueberries buyer, or the one who expected me to fulfill his smoothie needs. And um, 
I just wait for his response. It's a 17, you know, million megabyte spreadsheet. And I just get back when I open his email response, that one monkey, the sad monkey where its eyes are covered. <laughs> right. I didn't even get the, you know, the trio. I didn't get the like full see no evil, hear no evil trio. But I realized at that point that, um, you know what, making lists, we've been making lists for a hundred years. Lists don't work. Lists alone don't work but systems do. And the lucky thing was that my day job, my day job is creating systems for highly complex families. Ones that look like HBO show succession. The ones that look like what your, what your listeners want to be, right? Mm -hmm. We want to all get to those eight figures, nine figures. Um, those, those are the families I work with. And what I do is I create systems based on shared values for them so they can live in domestic harmony or the closest thing to it. And that's when I, so I put my, I decided either I could resign myself to doing it all, or I could uh, be my own client. And that sort of is how I developed the fair play system. Right. Because I think, you know, we've all had that experience of, you know, either having the mental checklist of all of the things that we've done in the day or actually writing it down, perhaps yeah. not a thousand, um, but that's not really all that helpful. Because uh, then we end up in that shame and blame cycle. So what is the I mean, next step? Can I say one more thing about how unhelpful mm. it can be if you just stay there at this should I do spreadsheet you know, list stage, which I think we've been stuck in for a lot of mm. years without solutions, was um, it was a see no evil in my house, Sarah, but in other households, you know, you can't make this stuff up. You know, I had women calling me. I had a one woman say, I, you know, I received your spreadsheet from a friend at the Jewish Federation of Arizona book club or whatever it was. And she said, um, I just want to let you know, I'm not staying in my marriage. Feedback? Oh no, I thought I was hearing feedback. So what I realized is that um, consciousness without solutions, it can be a do no harm. And I felt like the should I do spreadsheet was a do no harm at that time. Yeah. Yeah. So before we get to, you know, what the solution is. Talk to me a little bit about some of the research that you did. And, you know, what are the costs of this imbalance of, you know, domestic labor? It's a great question. Um, there's huge costs for women. Um, and I went out in my research, again, in my quest, along with getting uh, all the great responses for the Should I Do spreadsheet, I was interviewing, I ended up with a... Uh, a data set of 500, well now it's more, but 500 at the time, men and women, that mirrored the US Census. That's why this took me seven years. I wanted to see how this was affecting women across the spectrum before I could develop any sort of solutions for what I thought needed to get done. And I think the thing, Sarah, I wanna tell your listeners first, before I even get to the cost, is we, we, there was a crazy thing happening in my interviews. A crazy thing happening that uh, so much so that fair play had to become a book and not just a card game that sort of I wanted fair play to be a card game that sat on the shelves of, you know, cards against humanity and target. But why is fair play a book? The first 200 pages are that social change step I just told you about going from pre consciousness to consciousness before you can even get to solutions. And the consciousness raising, unfortunately, has to do with women. 
because patriarchy or whatever we call it, um, I don't call it that in the book, but whatever's happened, and again, I'm not going backwards, I'm going forwards here in Fair Play, but whatever's happened to us, it's done a number on women, where what happened, my main finding was that women don't value their own time. So we know men in society don't value women's time. We know that very, uh, it's very obvious, especially with equal pay, because if we were, if our time was as valuable as men's time, are, we'd be paid the same, right, for the same hour. But what was crazy was that the people who didn't value their time, women's time is sand and men's time is diamonds, right, guarding men's time and viewing our time as infinite were women. And so that's what I want your listeners to understand, that when we will get to the costs, but let me explain to you what happens when you don't value time. This is what you say to yourself. You say things to yourself like, Yes, I do more domestic tasks for my partner, regardless of whether we have kids or whatever, because I'm wired differently. I'm a better multitasker. I heard that so many times from so many different women, so much so that I had to go to the top neuroscientists in this country to debunk that myth that women are better multitaskers somehow in domestic life or have better brain function, which we don't. (laughs) <laughs> and my favorite quote, Sarah, was this crotchety old neuroscientist, white man, who looked at me and said, when I asked him this question, are women wired differently? Because I keep hearing this, that somehow we're wired differently for domestic work and for, you know, taking care of kids, um, or better brain function. And he just looked at me all confused. And he just said, imagine Eve, we could convince half the population, we meaning men, that imagine Eve, we can convince half the population that they're better at wiping asses and doing dishes. How great for the other half of the population. Mm. So that was a game changing quote for me. I started crying actually. I started yeah. crying in his office. Yeah. Last thing women said, the last thing women said to me that was super common was in the time it takes me to tell my partner what to do, I could do it myself. Mm-hmm. And I will say that, that I went to the top behavioral economists in this country. And they are arguing to women that's a terrible, terrible way to think because it means you'll be wiping dishes, wiping asses and doing dishes for the rest of your life at a cost to your business, at a cost to your mental health, at a cost to your identity and a cost to your marriage. Those are the four big costs. And we just can't allow that to happen because what ends up happening is we get sick. We get mentally sick, we get physically sick, or we get super resentful because we lose our identity. Yeah, we just burn out. So there is, tell me a little bit more about this idea then that women as well as men see men's time as precious and finite and like a diamond and women's time as like sand and infinite. Correct. No that one's is, time is infinite. Correct. So we, right. No one's time is infinite. We both get 24 hours in a day. But where I saw it the most, where you can really see that distinction between uh, how women view their own time and men's time, where I intentionally sought out men and women with the same job. Mm. So this may be relevant to your listeners, co-business owners who are owning a business with their partner, um, women who are breadwinners, who actually have, are making more than their spouse. Those women in the same jobs, two colorectal surgeons, two shipping supervisors, and the women are still doing the bulk of domestic work for their household and childcare. And I'd ask them why. And they look at me and say, well, my husband's overwhelmed and I can find the time. 
So back to what you said, Sarah, there's no way to fucking find time unless we're Albert Einstein and we can mess with the space-time continuum. There's no way to find time. There's only a different way in how we women are expected to use their time. And once I realized this was so prevalent, unfortunately, I had to spend a bulk of the book, you know, the beginning part of the book before you can get to the solution, unpacking what I call these toxic time messages that women give themselves. Because unless we retire those and the guilt and shame that goes along with working and doing things for ourselves, then we're not going to reach seven figures. We just won't. Well, and, and if we look at the stats around that right now, 86% of women-owned businesses in Canada and the U.S. Um, have revenues less than $100,000 a year. And that is actually... Yes. Well, it's the hardest place to hang out. You don't have any money. You don't have any time. You don't have the ability to have people, uh, you know, come in and help you out. And and I hear from women all the time in the work that I do about, you know, the guilt and the shame and, you know, all of these sorts of things. So I'm curious, when we look at this, how much of this before we move on and, and talk about the other things you know what role does this idea about gender roles have even though you know we're in 2020 um in canada we have gender parity within uh the cabinet you know there's all of this because it's 2020 and yet why do you think we're still really struggling with these basic issues of division and it wasn't better in Canada. I have a lot of interviews with Canadian couples. No. It was not better in Canada on an individual basis. Why do I think this? Because I think we have never treated our home like our most important organization. I don't think we have any respect and rigor for the home. I think women think they're going to figure it out, just start their business, have their families. People tell women all the time, well, there's no good time for anything, so just do it. I completely disagree with that. I think a plan is the most important thing a woman can have for her life. People keep talking about the life-changing magic of organizing your junk drawer. Well, I'll tell you, there's life-changing magic in long-term thinking and long-term planning for your life. And you don't just figure things out because unfortunately, when you figure things out, it just defaults to whatever the societal expectations are. And what those are are that women are going to be holding the, bearing the brunt. And this is what happens when women opt out of the workforce. Um, and opt out, I say, with a question mark, like the sociologists do. Not because it's a choice, because we're overwhelmed, or, or what I call the case of the 1099. So I was one, I'm one of your women, who, and I am um, in a business that has made seven figures, my day job. But it, is, it was a, so hard, because what, where I should have been is still at J.P. Morgan or in the corporate workforce, because I'm pretty sure I'd be very high up. I'd be a COO. I'd be making a lot more money than you know, what I'd been making in my 1099 business, I would have, I'd still have my own health insurance paid for, I would have my 401k, but I opted out to a, to a less traditional job, to a 1099 job, my own firm, because I needed the flexibility. And my corporate workplace wouldn't afford me that. And so a lot of us get into that place and we're lucky if we get to seven figures, but we're busting our ass for it. And I'm still paying the, in, in, in America, we're penalized for being our own, being self-employed. We get taxed at 50% for that. And I don't have my own health insurance and mm -hmm. I have to pay for it for my employees. And it's hard to collect, you know, to invoice people and all the stuff that happens when, like you said, when you're your own business owner. 
But basically, what ha- why we do that is because 43% of us, at least this is American statistic, 43% of women take a career detour after kids. I'm going to pause you right yeah. there, and I'm going to let people hang on that while we go to break, and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you ready to grow your business to the next level? Check out SRL Solutions for more information on training, coaching, and lots of resources for building your business sustainably and profitably. As a partner who helps you strategize and plan, Sarah Roach-Lewis helps you turn your vision into reality. She helps you identify the right area of focus at the right time. Visit srl.solutions to find out more and for a free consultation. That's srl.solutions. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Breakthrough with Sarah Roach Lewis. To reach Sarah or her guest on today's program, please send an email to Sarah at srl.solutions. Again, that's Sarah at srl.solutions. Now, back to this week's episode of Breakthrough. Welcome back to Breakthrough. I'm here with Eve Rodsky talking about her New York Times bestselling book called Fair Play. And before the break, we were just talking a little bit about the detours that women make in their careers and, um, and you know, what are, what are some of the impact on that? So back to our fundamental premise, Sarah, right, that time, men's time is viewed as diamonds and women's time is viewed as sand. Well, what happens is that when you have a different expectation over how you use your time, then the default is we're going to start taking on more and more domestic responsibilities. And that's what the science shows, especially after children. So, so relationships that feel fair, like minded, um, get very unfair after kids. We see that men do five to 15 hours a week less in the home after kids. So there's, there's, there's more traditional things happening. Women start feeling like it's on me. It's on me to figure out how to manage my career, how to uh, get my, replace my childcare. I call it the vagina replacing the vagina. Very few men are involved in, in selecting childcare for their kids in my research. Um, it's up to women to figure out how to feed their babies um, when they're gone. It's a very stressful time for women, especially after kids. And it's, it, it is a time where a lot of women do make financial decisions for themselves, where maybe they're not planning for the next 10, 20, 30 years. Cause I know that I wasn't when I had, when I was being stabbed in the vagina with a pen, you know, trying to get to my child's daycare. Um, I wasn't really thinking about the long-term health of my business or how to get to seven figures or what was going to help me. I was just trying to stay afloat and trying to survive. And that is because we ultimately are not looking at time as 24 hours. We're looking at time as men's time is more valuable. So I will guard it. I will let him work out early. I will lean into his career 
and I will start my job later at 9.30. I'll leave the traditional workforce. So all these messages spiral out of control when we don't recognize that we as women just have 24 hours the same as men. And we, we deserve as much time choice over how we use those hours as men do. And that to me is the starting point. Once we realize that all time is created equal, then we're living in a very different world. So talk to me a little bit more about this idea. What do you mean by all time is created equal? So if I, you know, particularly if, um, if one partner is making more money than the other. So that's a very typical way that we get into the terrible cycle of doing more domestic work in the home because men will always make more money than women. I mean, there are women, female breadwinners, which I'm, is great. And we're getting a new statistic that's coming out. That's looking really good. But in this, in the, in two owner households, men make more money than women. And it's because as we said before, even in the same job, men are paid more Two surgeons, two stripping supervisors. I would ask them their salaries. Men are paid more. We know that from the statistics. So what happens when you say, well, I should do more in the home because my husband makes more money than me? Well, then we're going to be doing more in the home for the next 100, 200, 300 years because we're not at pay equity. So I think we should look at it the reverse. Let's start with valuing our time in the home, and then we can get to pay equity. And what I mean by that is not 50-50. I'm not asking men to do 50% of the work in the home, especially if they work hard or you're in a, you know, sort of more of a lopsided uh, pay earner situation. All I'm saying is that nobody, nobody should hold all the domestic labor because it is parentally unfair. It is, will always be unpaid. Women are holding $10.8 trillion of unpaid labor per year. And it's just, it, it doesn't allow for anything else in a woman's life. So if you just become a parent and a worker, you're going to burn out. You're going to have insomnia, which is what a lot of women have. You're going to have Hashimoto's disease. A lot of autoimmune diseases were reported to me. I had women telling me that they were, you know, God forbid, you know, really sick with fibromyalgia, all these strange things that start happening to women as you try to take on more and more of the unpaid labor in your home. So I think the beauty is the solution. The solution is that it doesn't have to be 50-50. It's not rocket science. All I'm asking is that we invite men into their full power in the home. And what I say is that all starts with mustard. So let me tell you, Sarah, about my finding. My, one of my fun and most in, in amazing aha findings, especially for someone who loves organizational and project management, was that somebody, right, in your household has to know that your second son, Johnny, likes French's yellow mustard with his hot dog or his protein. Otherwise, he chokes. He won't eat protein. That's in the organizational management, project management language, what we call the conception phase. Mm-hmm. And then somebody has to know that the yellow, French's yellow mustard is running low and that it has to go on a grocery list with everything else you need for the week for your family's meal planning. That's the organizational management phase we call the planning stage. And then someone has to get their butt to the store to purchase the yellow mustard. Now that's the execution stage. Now in my research, in my 500 plus interviews, I found that that's where men are stepping in at execution. And it's a big problem, Sarah, because every single time they're bringing home spicy Dijon, that's (laughs) with the seeds. Every damn time. 
And this is why ultimately Fair Play became a love letter to men because I asked men, what's going on here with this spicy Dijon thing? And they basically said to me that they feel, and this was, you know, a generalization, but it happened man after man after man who said this to me, um, that they feel like, why would they do more in the home if they can't get anything right? Mm-hmm. If they're always being criticized for what they're doing wrong. And then women were saying things to me like, oh, Eve, what is this estate planning card in your you know, card game? You think I'm going to trust my husband with my living will? The dude can't even bring home the right fucking type of mustard. <laughs> right? And so you get into these terrible mediators, as we often say. We often say the presenting problem is not the real problem. So this is not about mustard. This is not about off-season blueberries. This is about trust and the dynamics that society has put on us, even in the 21st centuries. And how do we as an individual couples get out of these messed up dynamics that are sort of being sort of floated on us and pushed down on us? And we do it by, we take agency in our own home. We do it one marriage at a time, one partnership at a time, whether it's hetero, cisgender, whether it's same sex, those unfortunately those patriarchal attitudes seep into same sex couples. And I can tell you how that happened, but basically it's this idea that we move to a situation where the conception planning and execution, the ownership, the ownership stays with one person. That's the beauty of fair play. It's not rocket science. It's not based on 50 50. It's based on an idea of ownership mm-hmm. that when you own the full mustard situation for your house, when you're the grocery card holder for that week, you are fully responsible for conceiving what those groceries need to be, serving people around you for what they need for their menus for the week, what people eat for breakfast, planning that, writing it down in your own system, and actually going to the store to get it. It works. And I know because I've been testing it for over three years, and thousands of couples have given me feedback now, and the ownership system works. When you own your shit, just like you do in the workplace, our most successful workplaces Apple calls it the DRI, the directly responsible individual. Netflix calls it the rare responsible person, that you don't wait to be told what to do. You just do it. That is working in our workplaces. And I will say that it works in the home too. Amazing. So tell me then, so, so part of what we need to do is, uh, you know, if we're, if we're having these situations where we're feeling really frustrated um, and, and I, I hear that in terms of, you know, being the person who, yeah, I will do whatever you tell me to do and then super frustrated when it's not done right or it's not done to the standard. So I think that's another question that we need to sort of unpack is how do we determine, you know, what the standard is? I actually want the garbage, you know, taken out um, every day. And how do we decide when when is the garbage taken out or, you know, when is the laundry done or whatever the question is? I love that question. I feel like you just set me up for that because I actually have my, my, my big aha moment was over garbage, ironically. Um, and it was, it was around the time when I was starting to develop the system with Seth, you know, because I'm, I'm my first client, right? I'm the first tester. So the organizational management part, Sarah, came so easily to me. It was crazy to me when I really thought about it that we weren't applying organizational management principles to our home, that we weren't treating our home like an organization, because it is. 
Mm-hmm. And sisters work. So, and it should be our most important organization because the most important things happen there. Our connections, our relationships with our children, the, our families. It's So that made sense to me, this idea of ownership. And I started to test that out. But here's the problem with just conception, planning, and execution. If you don't do step one of what the fair play system is now. So this is how I figured out that I was missing a step. When I handed Seth the garbage card, right? I handed him the card and I said, here, you're in charge of garbage. And he understood the idea of conception, planning, and execution. He understood that if he's owning garbage, the liner has to go back in. He understood that, that you know, it was easier in an apartment, but now that we live in a house, you know, the, the bins have to go out. He understood all before trash day. He got what it meant to own garbage. But just like you said, Sarah, I was still stalking him over garbage. I was his garbage shadow. (laughs) Every time he was in the kitchen, I would just stand behind him. I mean, again, someone who's trained to communicate, talking about passive aggressive, I just would stare at him. I even, this is how passive aggressive I got. You know, my, my husband's really tall, so I opened the doors underneath the sink because I figured if he fell over an open door because he didn't see it, right? Because he wasn't looking down, then he would might as well get the garbage liner out because they're underneath there. So hopefully if he's on the floor, he'll see the freaking garbage liners. So I realized that something was missing. Something was missing here. And then I took a timeout and I said, I'm sorry, Seth. I talked to him when emotion was low, cognition was high when we were having a dinner. And I said, I'm sorry, I've been stalking you over garbage. Let's take a timeout from the fair play system. I need to think about this. And so I went back to what I've been good at for a decade, which is what I call values-based mediation. I work with families based on what is their why. Because when you can say what is your why when you communicate, it changes everything. Mm. So I went back to the drawing board with Fair Play and I said, I'm going to explain my why about garbage and see what happens when I add that component and couple it with organizational management. So I sat down with Seth again, again, when emotion was low and cognition was high, not in the moment. That's a big core tenant of fair play. We don't give feedback in the moment. A lot of women love to give feedback in the moment. Um, So you hold your tongue, which is hard, but you try, unless it's emergency. And we sat down when we both listen and hear each other. And I said to Seth, I'm going to explain to you my why over garbage. And I said, look, you know my mom, you knew I grew up in a single mom household. You see my mom in our house, she's always forgetting her keys. She, 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 you know, she gets into car accidents in our car, you know, she's just sort of a mess. But what you don't realize, Seth, was that growing up in the Lower East Side of Manhattan as a latchkey kid, letting myself in, we didn't have a garbage can. And so what my brother and I would do is we would just grab a takeout bag and just start throwing our garbage away in these bags on a knob in our kitchen. And garbage would spill out on the floor. And we would get hundreds of cockroaches and, and water bugs just everywhere. It was the 80s and the Lower East Side, it was not clean. And we couldn't even get water at night. We couldn't flitch, flick on the, the light at night because everybody, this, the bugs would scatter. It was really, really hard to be seven and to be scared of bugs. And I said, when I see even a banana peel that's like coming out over the top of the garbage can, I start to have a panic attack like I'm seven. Like I'm back there in the 625 East 14th Street apartment in the Lower East Side of New York. I don't want to live there again. Like I've done so much in my life to get out of there. And so it was the first time where he was really listening to me. 
And then he was able to come back and say to me, well, I grew up in a more privileged household than you, obviously. I had a housekeeper who took out garbage. In my fraternity, I slept on Domino's pizza boxes. I don't give a shit about garbage. So what happens, Sarah, when, when you're so divergent over mm-hmm. something that has to be done every single day? Well, I'll tell you what happens. 30% of us divorce over the unfair division of labor in the home. And, and the rest of us are seething in anger and resentment. Because ultimately, I don't give a shit about your vow on your wedding day, and nobody can recite it when I ask them. But what I care about is your vow over garbage. What is your minimum standard of care? And so then I borrowed in Fair Play this idea of what works in our legal system in America and what what works in our medical system, this idea of a minimum standard of care. What can you live with? What does a reasonable person do? And Seth and I started talking like that. What is our minimum standard of care? And ultimately, it was that garbage went out once a day. At night, Seth said he would handle it. He would put it in his work calendar like an appointment, as long as I never freaking mentioned the word garbage ever again. And it was a miracle. Sarah, it was a miracle. It was the first time in my life where garbage went out. I didn't have to remind him. It wasn't a conversation. We weren't making decision fatigue over who does it. It was, it was like Moses had parted the Red Sea, and then I realized I was onto something. That was when I was able to start testing the system. Um, and since then, like I said, I realized the combination of the what is your why, sitting down to take new vows over garbage, combined with ownership, is a very powerful tool. They are very powerful tools. And that's ultimately what fair play is. It's that combination of values and organizational management. Mm. And so from a very practical, tangible perspective, um, Fair Play is a book um, because you need to sort of unpack a whole bunch of this first, but it is a hundred cards that that couples can use to sort of identify what they need to talk about. Yes. And if you want the cards, uh, we have extra promotional ones. So Hello Sunshine gave me the permission to say that any of your listeners would like an actual card deck and not just to download them from the website, we're happy to send them to any of your listeners. So just let me know. Wonderful. Okay, well, we will put those in the show notes. I'm going to take us to break. And when we come back, I want to really talk about um, the game and some of the changes that you're seeing with people who are using it. Great. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you ready to grow your business to the next level? Check out SRL Solutions for more information on training, coaching, and lots of resources for building your business sustainably and profitably. As a partner who helps you strategize and plan, Sarah Roach-Lewis helps you turn your vision into reality. She helps you identify the right area of focus at the right time. Visit srl.solutions to find out more and for a free consultation. That's srl.solutions. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Voice America. 
You are listening to Breakthrough with Sarah Roach Lewis. To reach Sarah or her guest on today's program, please send an email to sarah at srl.solutions. Again, that's sarah at srl.solutions. Now, back to this week's episode of Breakthrough. Welcome back to Breakthrough. I'm here with Eve Rodsky, and we're talking about fair play and how to, you know, kind of create some equity within within our lives. And uh, I have to say, when I read this book, a little bit of what um, I felt was validation. And, uh, you know, my husband and I um, have been together for 25 years, sometimes feels like 9,000, sometimes it feels like five minutes. Um, But when we had our first baby, I go to a folk festival um, that I've gone to, I went to every year and, um, and I wasn't nursing. My baby was three months old and it felt like, um, of course I would go to Stanfest. And my husband came home. Yeah, of course I would go. Of course you should be interested in your own life. Yes. Right. And so Scott came home about a week before and I'm like doing my prep. And he just sort of said, like, you know, in a really sort of throwaway moment of, um, well, no, like, you wouldn't do that now. Like you're a mother, you're not going to do that. And then promptly went off. It was the end of lobster season, which is a big deal when you're a, when you're a commercial fisherman promptly went off and did his own celebratory, you know, partying that you do when you're in your thirties, early thirties. And I was like, what the hell? And we actually had a conversation um, when he came back and, and the conversation was, I didn't sign up for losing who I am to be a mom. And, uh, you know, this, this kid is 50% yours and you just got to figure it out for four days. Uh, keep him alive. That's it. And so, and, and I did sort of say, like, I, I, I'm not into this. I'm just not into it. And we got to sort this out. And so I think for all of the people who are in that place right now to be able to have this book, like we did figure it out in fits and starts. And uh, I look forward to um, dealing out the cards. (laughs) But I, you know, because I think we have sorted out a lot of stuff. And yet to have that organizational system is, is so critical. So tell me... You know, what are you hearing now that it's out into the world? How is this helping one family at a time? Well, you just made me cry, by the way. I just wrote down your quote. I didn't sign up for losing myself as a mom. I think that is such a beautiful quote because that's where I was on that Blueberries Day, on this day where I didn't feel any permission to be interested in my own life. Yeah. I didn't feel like in a fair relationship. All of a sudden, we had all, and this is actually what the science shows, you know, men and women get more conservative, things start moving. And again, because society is pushing us into this guilt and shame, when women do anything for ourselves, we don't even see in cultural, we never see anybody after the after, right? I watch all these princess Disney movies, we watch them get married, these women at 18, 19, Ari, Princess Ariel, uh, Belle at 17, and then there's no after. So no. what happens when you want to keep going to your beautiful folk festival? Um, we, we have to individually push back, but it's very hard against those societal messages of people saying crazy things like, are you insane for going to the folk festival? You're a mother now. So we all have to remember we have permission to be interested in our own lives. I call it unicorn space in the book. 
um, which is the mythical equine. It doesn't fucking exist for women to go to your folk festivals, to love music. It doesn't exist unless we reclaim it. So we reclaim it together. That's why Sarah, that quote that you just said was so powerful to me because we're cultural warriors to remind each other. Yes. You go to that festival. You surround yourself with spiritual friends who get you to that festival. And so I'll give you an example of how fair play and sort of this culture of consciousness can work even in a very traditional household. So I interviewed this woman who was someone who was very interesting, right? But she was sort of in that exact sweet spot Sarah we're talking about, super overwhelmed, had opted out of the workforce, working part-time, trying to start her own business that was under $100,000 of revenue. Um, her husband was growing his business as a, as a major executive in a financial institution. They live in New Jersey. And she calls me because I'd interviewed her and him. And he's the kind of guy who said things to me like, well, I'm the CEO outside the home and my wife's the CEO of the home. Like things that maybe want to throw up. <laughs> but, um, but they were a nice couple, nice guy. And she calls me around Christmas of, of, of 2018 and says to me, look, I get the fair play ideas when you interviewed us. I want to do it. And I said, well, it's a terrible time to try anything new around the holidays. But she said, I'm, look, I'm super overwhelmed. My mom just entered the hospital with this neurodegenerative thing. Um, I am trying to plan a, a Christmas break vacation. I'm taking out the damn ornaments. I'm preparing for some Christmas play. I'm trying to get the kids to school. I'm packing their lunches. I'm still doing their homework. She was just dying. And so I said, well, what's breaking you? And she says to me, it was her second son Brody's second grade secret Santa project. Say that five times now. <laughs> Um, because it had to be done from scratch. And she just was like, typically I would give Ed, my husband, you know, a list of everything to get me and build the project, the damn project after I'm getting home from seeing my mom from the hospital. But I don't want to do that. I do want to give him the homework card, right? Because like you said, Fair Play is 100 cards, a closed system. It rep represents everything it takes to run a home and family in this 100 cards. 60 if you don't have kids, you add 40 if you do. So that may want to make your listeners reevaluate whether they want them. But basically, this idea that I asked, yes, I would love Ed to hold the ownership of just this one homework card, one project for one assignment. But this was the problem, Sarah. Julie, this woman said to me, she would have no idea how to even start that conversation. She started mm -hmm. saying to me, he'd be too busy. He won't get it on time. It'll be a dirty sock puppet you know, Brody will be embarrassed. She had all these barriers to being able to ask her husband or being able to approach a conversation with her husband to take over this project. So that's where I said to her, let's back up. Instead of telling Ed all those things you just said, um, what is your why? Why do you care about this project? So she says to me, it's the seminal second grade project because they're teaching kids to be as excited opening a homemade gift from a friend as you are with buying a hundred dollar Nerf gun or whatever the thing, you know, newest toy is. And so I thought that was pretty profound. And then she says, and on top of that, Brody drew the name of a little girl who was new to the school in second grade. And I noticed that she just stands around in the, in the yard. She doesn't talk to anybody. She waits to line up. And by now, someone should greet her. She should have a friend. And how nice would it be if Brody can make something beautiful for this little girl that says something like, welcome to the school and happy holidays. 
And so I said to Julie, this is a very profound why. Just say that to Ed. Mm. And so I, she did. And thank God I checked in with them after the holidays because I was interviewing a lot and I almost forgot. And Ed tells me, Mr. I'm CEO outside the home, tells me he begins Googling secret Santa projects for little girls with his son Brody that they decided on a popsicle stick jewelry box. And that's a conception. This is exactly fair play, right? That's the conception. They made that decision. She didn't have to tell him or nag him or give him a list. They decided together on a popsicle stick jewelry box. And then he, Ed then proceeds to tell me that what you need for a popsicle stick jewelry box was colored popsicle sticks. You need glue, glitter. And Ed tells me that Brody didn't even want this little girl to need two hands to open her jewelry box. So they needed a knob so she could take out her jewelry and open, take the, lid off with one hand. This is Ed. My no detail in the homes, guys. Tell me about the knob they need for the jewelry box. So that's the planning stage. And then he says to me, well, I discovered this really cool store called Michael's. And (laughs) yeah, he's like, and um, you know, it's really awesome because you can get everything you need in one place. I was like, wow, that sounds like an awesome store. I should check it out. Miraculous. So Miraculous. There's crafts in one place. And so he takes Brody to Michael's and then they go home and they build a jewelry box. And Julie is the one who chimes in and says to me, Eve, my life changed in that day. And what was beautiful about this is she's not hyperbolic. I mean, she's a normal person. But I said, well, what changed for you? And she said, Ed was on the floor. And out of the corner of my eye, I noticed that he had glitter on his hands. And that sort of got me really teared up. And I started thinking about and asking her, you know, what, what was it about the glitter that was so profound for you? And she said to me, frankly, it was because it was the first time in our lives that I felt like he was truly in it with me. Mm. This is our second son, right? And he's already seven. So it was a very profound change in their relationship from that one card, from allowing Ed into his full power to understand that he is not, she's not wired differently to do a popsicle stick jewelry box. He can take ownership of things in the home. And that pattern started changing. So that's the beauty of fair play. The beauty of glitter and popsicle stick jewelry boxes is to show that it doesn't have to just jump to 50-50. You start where you are now. And Mm -hmm. for Julie and Ed, it was just one project. But it was starting with your why that was so powerful. And so if we can all start with glitter, then I feel like we're going to make big societal change. Start small and it becomes really, really big. Because I'll tell you what happened to Ed. Ed is now saying things to me. He got a major promotion in this major company. And he's saying things to me, not only did he have me speak at his company, but he said things to me like, well, what does fair play look like in the workplace? And I said, well, if you value women's time and men are going to be equally handling popsicle stick jewelry boxes, then we get pay equity. Then we get men to take their paternity leave so they know how to build those popsicle stick jewelry boxes and wipe asses and do dishes. And it also looks like flexibility where you allow us, you allow me to take a day off to work from home on Fridays because I will work my ass off from home. But I will be so grateful to you for allowing me to do that. Allow men and women that flexibility to be adults in the workplace. So what's been happening to me is I've been able to have these new policy conversations with men who didn't understand or have the empathy for why care mattered before. And that's the beauty of what I'm trying to do with, especially with your listeners and with you, Sarah, as we're all cultural warriors and it all starts with glitter. 
It all starts with glitter. And I love this idea that structural and systemic change happens one person at a time. And, you know, so not only did Ed have this beautiful experience of the glitter and how does that shift things in his business and what impact that can have, but also he had a really great experience with his kid and how wonderful that is as well. Yeah. It makes me cry because I think I, the story makes me cry still, even though I tell it a lot because it was very profound listening to him and he was talking about, but I don't tell a lot in the story was he, he mentioned to me and I have to follow up with him about why he said this, but he also told me that his son Brody cried in the car on the way back from Michael's. And I think Sarah, he was telling me that probably I'm assuming here, but I'm, I think he was telling me that because it was probably not something that happens to him often. Yeah. Where he's in that space in between, as Tova Klein calls it, this, you know, great psychologist, the space in between to have these connections. Because that's when ultimately kids do reveal things, right? It's in the carpool line. It's when you're walking to the store. And I think that basically Brody was crying because he was sad about his grandmother being in the hospital. But I think Ed told me that story that Brody was willing to reveal that to Ed because he was proud that he was having this interaction, this connection with his son. Amazing. So Eve, we have this new awareness that, you know, all time is created equal, that we have the right to be interesting and that we have the right to pursue these things that we want to pursue. We know that, you know, starting where we're at right now is, is step one. What other advice do you have for women who really want to find Um, a different normal to be able to have that time for their unicorn activities, whatever they might be. My advice is to start where you are now. That's my number one advice, which is that you don't have to feel overwhelmed. You don't have to feel like you have to completely change your life. But what I'm asking, all I'm asking for is for you listener to have a new conversation about domestic life, because I promise you, you are already communicating about domestic life. So when I would say to women, have these conversations, they'd say, well, I don't know how we don't talk about these things. And I'd say, but you just told me, unironically, that you dump wet clothes on your husband's pillow when he forgets to put them in the dryer. Um, So don't tell me you're not communicating about domestic life. You just said to you, I find out from another woman who says she hasn't communicated about domestic life, that she has an Instagram account called the shit my husband doesn't pick up. And she just takes pictures of stuff that is left on the floor and posts it publicly shames him on Instagram. So what I like to say to your listeners is you are already communicating about domestic life. So I'm not asking for a conversation start. I'm asking for a conversation shift. And when you can shift the conversation to a weekly check-in, whether it's over tacos and margaritas or just on the phone, when emotion is low and cognition is high, and you have those conversations about not only who's doing what, but why you're doing what you're doing. It is a game changer. It will change the game for your household. Yeah. I am curious where you see, I often talk about outsourcing. So when you think about, you know, those hundred cards that you've got, which is a lot of cards, oh my goodness. um, What do you see as the role for outsourcing in all of this? It's a great question. So I actually, the suits are based on outsourcing. So you will see that there's a out suit and there's a home suit. 
and I say those are the ones that are more easily outsourceable. There's okay. still 50 cards that are probably not outsourceable. So caregiving and magic, things like the tooth fairy, you're very, you're not likely probably to have your babysitter or a nanny um, or your gardener, you know, write your tooth fairy notes um, or take your kids to the doctor or even get them haircuts. There are about 50 cards that are hard to outsource, but the other 50 cards, I like to say, whoever helps you with your execution, God willing, God bless, as long as it's not your partner. So if you have sure, okay. access to babysitters, to childcare, to your in-laws, great. So my husband, he is he has he holds the extracurricular sports card. He coordinates carpool now. So he's outsourcing he's outsourcing our you know getting Zach to practice to a carpool, but he's still on a text chain of about 18 families. And yeah. thank God, as long as I don't have to deal with that, I don't care if he's driving. Let someone else execute it. But as long as you're in charge of the conception and planning, because a new Harvard study just came out and it proves exactly what I said, which is that women, this is a gender division of labor issue. So I am talking heterosis here, but women are in, are holding the cognitive labor. And when we give that up, absolutely get that help with outsourcing. As long as we're having a nuanced conversation about outsourcing, because remember when I had one interview I, with a woman who was a, um, a nanny for a family, I showed her the 100 cards of fair play. And she said to me, what if I'm holding 150 cards? And I said, well, that's not possible because 100 cards is a closed system for fair play. Well, she said to me, well, actually, I'm holding 100 of my own cards because I'm a single mom, but I'm holding right. 50 cards for white women. And so I think I want, if we're going to value care, let's pay our caregivers um, an adequate wage. That's also a systemic policy issue, but we can take agency in our own home by saying, let's not negotiate nickel and dime our babysitters, our caregivers, let's um, pay them a decent wage too. Amazing. And it really is all about um, having that, you know, the, the value of women's work. Eve, I want to say thank you so much for your time. I can't believe how quickly this time went. And I do want to really encourage all of you who are listening. I don't know what the stats are, but I will start looking. I do know that women who achieve high levels of success in their business um, often talk about their partners um, coming to work with them or taking on different parts of responsibility. So this is a critical piece if you are really keen to have that exponential growth in your business. With that, I do want to say thank you so much, Eve, for being here. And thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you for tuning in to Breakthrough. Be sure to join Sarah Roach Lewis again with another inspiring interview next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we speak again, have a great week.